Welcome to the Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, and with me today is my co-host, Mike Lawless, IMEG's Director of Innovation. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Today's topic is the design of indoor growth facilities, otherwise known in the industry as Controlled Environment Agriculture, or CEA. Specifically, we're going to talk about indoor cannabis grow facilities, a growing industry in the United States, with 36 states having legalized medical and or recreational marijuana. To help us examine this topic, we have as our guest Luke Street. Luke is a mechanical engineer at IMEG and a project manager on several cannabis facilities in the past several years. Welcome to the show, Luke. Thanks, Joe and Mike. Glad to be here. Tell us about your background and how you got into this niche market. Yeah, so my background is uh, I have a degree in agricultural engineering from from Iowa State University, Um, you know, and and became interested in agriculture, uh, you know, when I was young, uh, growing up on a farm in rural Iowa. And then... uh, you know, got involved in, um, you know, in the cannabis industry here about uh, four or five years ago. I had the opportunity to to work on the uh, the first um, medical cannabis facility in the state of Iowa, uh, and then from there just kind of uh, uh, made some contacts in the industry and continued network and, and was able to um, kind of help grow this uh, industry for for IMEG or grow the market segment. So you and Mike recently did a webinar for IMEG on indoor grow facilities, and the overarching theme of that was keeping the plants happy. That's what we're going to discuss today, that and the things owners should consider as they get into this industry. Mike, what's your first question for Luke? Well, yeah, I think, Luke, you know, one of the interesting things that, is, that we've talked about is, you know, the plants are really the the core driver of, of this, the design of these facilities. That's the, that's the product in this case. And really, you know, how do we, how do we keep the plants happy? How do we plan for unexpected events, you know, and infrastructure for those? And, you know, how, do, when you start out on a project, how do you, how do you start to engage with the, the client and the owner on, on the plants and kind of how they want to approach it? What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, so I think you know the first thing that I want to understand when we're when we're starting to look at a new project is um, make sure we understand what the um, you know obviously what the product is in this instance cannabis, um, but we want to get into the details as soon as possible. You know, we want to want to know how many plants they they are going to um, to grow in each room. Um, we want to know what kind of uh, supplemental lighting they're going to use. And that you know what the intensity of that lighting is, and then we want to know um, information about how they're going to irrigate or water uh, the plants, and then you know we get into things uh, related to process flow, and you know uh, how they're going to get materials from materials and plants from from one room to the next, you know as the um, as the plants change or go from one cycle to another or stage to another. Um, you know, and just make sure we understand the process as a whole, because that helps us to helps drive design decisions. Now, would it be fair to say that each each grower in some ways has their own their own re- recipe, their own kind of thought process on what what gets the best quality cannabis? And, and each one of them sort of has their own 
you know, own thought process on here. Here's my preferred way to do this. And it's pretty important. We understand that from the beginning. Is that, is that kind of the case? Yeah, absolutely. You know, some, some growers are, are looking for just the maximum amount of yield um, or product. Uh, some are, are trying to get a, uh, develop a specific strain or, or taste or smell uh, from the product. And so, you know, based on what they are trying to achieve, uh, that can um, uh, cause the, the parameters of the environment to change. So maybe some growers want to want to operate their rooms at a higher temperature or a higher humidity or the opposite. And, you know, if you, uh, for example, if you, if you want to maintain your, your grow room at uh, 45% humidity versus 55%, that has a huge impact on, on HVAC equipment sizing. Yeah, and it's this, those small changes sometimes that seem small to, to some that, that get to that get the plant to that certain recipe to that, either the yield or, or the flavor that is pretty important. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've talked about is it's, you know, there might be a certain recipe for each grower, but there's also sort of a range of, of, of the parameters. And sometimes as we're getting into these projects, you know, we'll, we'll ask some questions and get some initial information. And sometimes some of those parameters are, are well outside of what, you know, what, what we've seen or what we understand the plants really need. And, and Luke, how do you use your experience to help, help kind of guide, guide the growers and the owners back to, back to something that fits a little bit better with what's available, you know, what kind of equipment's available, you know, optimizing energy. How, how do you approach that? Yeah, good question. So, you know, you, you're right. There are, there is kind of a, um, an op, you know, an ideal range of parameters, whether that's temperature, humidity, watering rates, et cetera, and, or lighting levels. And we, we do kind of have a good idea of what that range should be, you know, based on the experience that we have now. Um, so we do ask a lot of questions. And if we get information early on that doesn't seem to, to jive with what, you know, the, the typical range is, we continue to ask questions and, and help them understand what kind of impact that might have. Uh, so, for example, if uh, sometimes we get information from growers that they they plan to water their plants at a, at a higher rate than we would typically see, and we just help them understand, you know, how that impacts the design of, um, you know, dehumidification equipment, for example. And if we need to size dehumidification equipment to handle that higher watering rate that they're telling us, then that can drive equipment sizing and, and cost, and it can be a real, um, a real shock. Yeah, I know on, on projects we've, we've looked at certain parameters and said, you know, if we, if we can change the, the room temperature a couple degrees or the humidity level by 5%, you know, here's, you know, we're getting into six-figure, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in savings. A lot of times, too, the other thing is, and I know we'll talk about this probably later, is all this equipment takes up space. And depending on those parameters, the equipment necessary, you know, the quantity and size of that equipment can change. And then you're one of the challenges, is how do you get it all to fit on some on some of these sites, especially with, you know, existing existing buildings. So it's kind of transitioning, you know, once we understand the plants and, and what they what they want and how, you know, what that certain recipe is for the grower. You know, what's the you know, somebody's looking at a site. And they're trying to figure out, you know, hey, can we put a new building here? Can we reuse this building? What are some of those key things that you say, okay, here's the first, you know, here's some of those first things to look at to make sure this is even a viable place to do one of these types of facilities? Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, um, these these facilities 
take a lot of mechanical equipment. And so one of the first things we want to look at, especially if they're looking at an existing building, is uh, is there is there real estate uh, around the building to locate mechanical equipment, or is the the roof adequate to support new equipment? Um, so those are kind of from a physical standpoint the the first things we want to look at. Uh, the other thing is you know from a from a NEP infrastructure standpoint is making sure that they have adequate power. You know the electrical service is sized correctly. Or if it's not, uh, we want to know that as soon as possible, and then we want the owner to know that as soon as possible, and then start discussions with the uh, with the electric utility to to make sure that um, they have capacity in their system, and that the uh, timeline for them to get an upgraded service to the site uh, works for the owner. Right. I know a lot of times we're trying to you know expedite these projects, and you you talk to the electric utility and explain to them. You know, based on the intensity of these these requirements, it, it's significant electrical infrastructure is required, and and a lot of times that delivery of of power to the site is really a huge driver on on the schedule. I, I think the other thing that I that I think is interesting, and I know Luke, you know, we've both run into this quite a bit, is a lot of these facilities um, tend to want to reuse existing sort of light industrial you know metal buildings and put growth facilities into those. And I, I think one of the common, I think, misconceptions that, that we see people have is those those lightweight, those light industrial metal buildings often aren't designed to support any equipment on the roof. And so that, you know, if you're looking at a site and the majority of the site is, is a building, you really then have to look around it. And that's the space to put all your, you know, mechanical equipment, your electrical gear, you know, any generators you might have bulk CO2. I mean, there's a lot of parts and pieces that, that have to fit together into that sort of situation. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the, the, the light industrial metal buildings that you mentioned, they're, you know, they are um, designed as efficiently as possible. And uh, that means they're, they're, they're not putting any more steel into them than they have to, uh, to meet the bare minimum code requirements. So that means that the, you know, the, the structure itself is, is likely not designed uh, to support anything that's not currently on that roof, um, you know. So adding mechanical equipment is is probably not viable on the roof. So then you're right; you do have to look around outside the building, you know, around the perimeter of the building, and make sure there's there's enough uh, real estate available to locate equipment. And if you're, you know, if you're adjacent to a to another property and the property line is closed, or there's utility easements, um, you know, right outside the building, you know, that that becomes important to know uh, early in the project. Right. So that, that goes to, you know, I think a lot of times, Luke, you know, we've gotten involved in various stages of the projects. But when you when you look back at some of the projects you've been involved in, I mean, how early do you want to be engaged? How, how early should folks be giving you a call and say, hey, how, how can how can you help us or how can we help them get get these growth facilities underway? Yeah, we've been in um, feels like a lot of projects where we get engaged um, a little, maybe a little too late. Um, a lot of times we get, uh, you know, we get engaged by, by a construction manager or an architect after, you know, conceptual design has been completed and they've got a floor plan layout that they're all happy with, but they haven't taken into account the, um, you know, the spatial requirements of, of electrical gear or, or mechanical equipment and things like that. And so then we get into, uh, um, almost a little bit of a redesign before the project even uh, can keep going uh, to make sure that we can, um, you know, support the, the, the program that the owner has. 
Right. And I think sometimes we can, you can even get into a situation where you really become sort of landlocked and maybe you're making decisions based on what's, what space is available on the site as far as systems go. You know, I know some of the mechanical systems can be located in the, in the growth space itself. Now that potentially reduces your canopy as well. And so there's trade trade-offs to those, those sorts of options. But I mean, I think Luke, with your experience, if you're engaged early, you can pretty quickly, share with the team here's here's kind of our thoughts on the space requirements so that right from the start that can get included is that is that true yep we can you know if we can get involved early we can help uh, identify you know mechanical or electrical space uh, we can we can talk about the options of you know uh, if we look at like a split system arrangement for mechanical equipment so you've got you know your air handling device inside the grow room as you mentioned, that takes up a little bit of, of canopy space or production space, um, but you may not have a choice based on what's available, um, you know, on the roof or outside the building. Um, you know, the other thing we can talk through is is what, uh, you know, what's required from a from a maintenance or servicing standpoint, and making sure that we can uh, maintain good access to the equipment. Or, you know, do we want equipment that's inside the grill room? You know, in that if and when that equipment needs servicing, somebody's going to have to go inside the grow room, you know, where the, where you're trying to keep a, um, you know, a sealed clean environment. Right. And then in the midst of, you know, we've got all these requirements, we've got the grow requirements, we've got the challenges of how do we fit the equipment and where do we locate things. But then the other part of that is how do we be, you know, how are we good stewards of the environment from an energy use and water use standpoint, also just the cost of operation. I mean, that's that's a huge challenge in these facilities, right? Because we've got, we need the lighting to help the plants grow. And we also have some certain temperature, humidity requirements. When we put those two things together, it tends to use a lot of energy. and also tends to, you know, we put water into the environment and then we take that water right back out. And what, what options are there to, to optimize both of those things as, as we're putting these facilities together? Yeah, and you know, as it relates to cannabis, I think the the industry in general is is relatively new, and um, you know the the uh, cities or counties that these projects are going in are are somewhat or have been somewhat naive to you know to the energy usage, energy and water water usage for these types of facilities. But that's all starting to change, and I know the the energy codes are and the building codes are starting to catch up, and and there's going to be a focus on on cannabis uh, specifically in terms of energy and water usage. And, you know, so, so obviously the, the supplemental lighting that's used inside these grow rooms uses a lot of energy. Um, the, the mechanical equipment, HVAC equipment that, that's used to, to uh, maintain the indoor environment then also uses some, sometimes almost an equal amount of energy as the lighting. Um, so making sure we understand, um, you know, how the owner is planning to operate the facility. Sometimes there can be um, an opportunity to stagger the lighting in the grow rooms. So you've got one one grow room dark and one one um, uh, lit up, and then you know that helps to to shave off some peak demand, peak electrical demand usage. Um, you know we want to look at equipment that's that's designed for the purpose. You know talking about HVAC equipment and making sure that that's as energy efficient as possible, um, you know, and, and still fits within the owner's uh, budget. Uh, from a water usage standpoint, you know, you mentioned, uh, Mike, that uh, we're, we're bringing a lot of water 
out of these grow rooms because you know all the all the water that gets fed to the plants ends up in the air which then we take out uh through the hvac equipment so there's a lot of condensate uh you know coming off of cooling coils or dehumidifier coils uh, but then we we have the opportunity to capture that and and reintroduce it filter it and reintroduce it back into the irrigation system uh, so we can you know once a facility gets up and running uh, the 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 water that's uh, being used from the utility can can be reduced quite a bit if you if you can reclaim condensate for irrigation. Luke, one of the things you mentioned was equipment that's you know purpose built for the, this kind of environment, and I know some some of the questions we get as we're doing these projects is why can't we use a stand you know standard HVAC HVAC equipment? And I know you've gotten called in to to look at several facilities where. I guess more standard equipment was used, maybe not not so successfully. And you know what what are some of those kind of key takeaways? Some of those key things to think about as when you when you hear when you get that question from people, how, how do you answer that? Yeah, you know, I think especially early on in, in the cannabis industry, there was a lot of um, a lot of facilities trying to use uh, just a, a typical packaged rooftop unit or air handling unit that you would have on a, a commercial office building, for example. Um, and that, you know, that does a good job of, of handling um, the environment, you know, when the lights are on, for example, when you've got a high sensible load in your space. But when the lights turn off and your your heat load becomes mostly latent, you know, from from moisture, uh, that equipment just really struggles to to handle it so so a lot of folks then to, to compensate for that started putting in um you know supplemental unitary dehumidifiers inside the grow room uh to account for that but then that also adds more heat back into your space and then your your equipment tends to want to to fight each other uh, so then that kind of that kind of goes against the uh you know trying to reduce energy and, and be more efficient um, not to mention that it's hard on the equipment because it's it's cycling on and off, uh, and that equipment just wasn't it wasn't designed and it wasn't built for you know a continuous duty duty cycle uh, like some of the equipment is that's that's designed specifically for that purpose. And what happens to the you know what happens to the plants? We talked about it. It's super important to keep the plants within their parameters for peak production and and getting that right maybe that right that right profile of the product. And what happens to the plants when when you've got some of these systems that maybe don't perform in the way that, that you want them to. Yeah. You know, the, the equipment that wasn't uh, specifically designed for this purpose, uh, you'll have a tendency for, um, you know, temperature and humidity to swing, uh, you know, one way or the other. And, you know, the, the intent is to maintain a constant, consistent uh, environment in there, you know, so that the plants can thrive. Uh, you know, if you, if you get too humid, for example, uh, you have a, a tendency for the, the plants to want to, you know, maybe develop mold or fungus uh, that can impact uh, your, your production, your yield, and quality of the product. Um, sometimes you can lose a whole room of plants, which, which is a, a huge revenue loss. Uh, the other thing is, you know, if you get too, uh, if you get too hot and, and dry, uh, it can stress the plants by, uh, you know, pulling more moisture uh, through the plant than they would otherwise uh, you know, transpire. Uh, so there's just a lot of things to, to keep in mind. And the other one is, is uh, uh, maintaining the right uh, carbon dioxide concentration in the space. So I think that's a, that's a parameter that uh, sometimes gets overlooked, at least initially. But, uh, you know, 
your typical ambient uh, concentration, you know, just outside um, uh, is, you know, three to 400 parts per million. And, you know, when the lights are on inside these rooms, you know, simulating, simulating daylight, uh, we, we want to keep the concentration of carbon dioxide somewhere in the 1,000 to 1,500 range. So, you know, four times roughly the ambient concentration. So, uh, you know, making sure that the systems that we put in are um, taking into account that there's that we're trying to keep the concentrations elevated, uh, you know, making sure that we're not introducing outside air and exhausting the, the interior air that we've, you know, paid money to, uh, <laughs> to pump carbon dioxide into. So then, Luke, with all the necessary infrastructure that you want to maintain for the plants, backup power must be a huge consideration, right? It is, Joe. Yeah, they, uh, you know, it's always a discussion we, we get to sooner or later on these projects, you know, and, and a lot of times the discussion starts that uh, they want, uh, the owner wants everything backed up, you know, the entire facility, grow lights, HVAC equipment, everything. Um and because these these uh, facilities pull so much power, uh, a lot of times that becomes uh, not feasible from a financial standpoint. Uh, so then we have to get into discussions about, you know, what's the bare minimum we can we can do to to make sure that the plants, um, you know, stay alive basically through through a, a you know a power outage of a certain duration. You know, so sometimes we look at. Uh, you know, checkerboarding the, the grow lighting. Maybe it's just, maybe it's even as simple as we shut off all the grow lighting and just, just have a couple of, uh, you know, general light fixtures within the space to, so that the plants don't think it's completely dark or, or, or nighttime, uh, for example. And then we look at, you know, can we operate some of the HVAC equipment or do we just provide, um, you know, uh, backup power connections or, or, you know, electrical connections in the room so that they can bring in a portable cooling device if needed for a short period of time. So it just, uh, it's a discussion we want to have early on because that can certainly drive, again, additional equipment requirements and, and costs for the owner. And I think the, you know, just to kind of circle back on the power side of things, we did a, recently did a, a facility, a grill facility in an urban area with a pretty robust electrical uh, grid nearby and we were even stretching the limits of that that grid I, and you know I think the interesting thing is that grow facility needed uh, you know five or six megawatts of power well that's similar to a huge you know healthcare hospital uh, campus you know is, is similar and the, the healthcare campus is you know six seven times as much square footage so these these systems really do use a lot of power and so from a backup generation standpoint I think most of the time Luke we end up with what procedures are going to take place to allow us to use, you know, some sort of backup power, but the cost of backup the entire system is just really extremely cost prohibitive. And a lot of times it's really, Hey, if we lose power, what, what are, what processes are we going to put in place to keep the plants, you know, viable until we do, you know, until power is restored or we roll in a backup generator, you know, what, what are those steps we're going to take to do that? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think the first question that uh, that, that the owners should ask, should be asking, or or we can ask on their behalf, is you know contact the utility company and, and find out uh, you know what kind of reliability does their does their system have? You know what what's what's their percent uptime? Um, and then you know then you've always got the you know how do you plan for 
you know, emergency or, you know, natural disaster type situations, you know, where you could have an extended power outage. And, and to your point, Mike, I think it does come down to, you know, to a certain degree, how are they planning to operate the facility? How are they going to staff the facility? Uh, you know, so who's who might be on site when a situation does happen? And then what 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 would those immediate procedures, you know, entail? Yeah, and I think, the you know, the other thing, this is, you know, on the emergency power backup power side of things, it's how do we protect the crop? But the other side of that is, as we're putting these facilities together, if you can put the facility together a little bit more quickly and you get another, you can get an additional crop out of it, that can be a pretty important financial benefit to the to the work, folks that we're working with. How, how do we approach that? How do we approach, you know, potentially phasing these things? You know, once we've figured out a lot of this infrastructure, how do we phase them to really get, basically get that first crop soon, you know, as soon as we can for the, for our owners? Yeah, you know, the, because the, um, you know, cannabis is not legalized federally, uh, a lot of the funding um, sources that are available to traditional, you know, projects are not available for. Uh, for these owners. Uh, so then it becomes, you know, they've got to, they've got to fundraise, uh, you know, and get investors and, and raise money. And so they want to, you know, speed to market then becomes very important. And so the sooner to your point, Mike, the sooner they can get a crop uh, started and harvested and, and start selling product, you know, they, then they can start generating revenue and then they've got some seed money to put back in and, and continue to build their facility. So, you know, I would say probably at least half of the projects I get involved in, there's there's some sort of construction phasing uh, being planned. Uh, so maybe it's just, you know, building out, um, you know, a couple of flower rooms initially. And then there's a there's a second phase where they bring on another, um, you know, 50 to 100 percent of the initial construction, uh, knowing that they'll have some revenue coming in and, and have, uh, you know, money that they can use to uh, to continue to build with. I think, you know, kind of maybe the last thing to, to cover here, too, is I think a lot of folks don't understand the complexity that, you know, I think we've talked about a lot of these complexities that go into really supporting these plants. And, you know, we're talking about controlled environment agriculture that applies to cannabis facilities. It also applies to, you know, plant research facilities. You know, we're talking about different kinds of, you know, more edible products that you might see in your grocery store, really the same concepts apply across all of those areas. Those are all areas, I think, Luke, that you you have experience in. And, and you know, talk just maybe briefly about how all those things really do tie together. And it's it's all a lot of the same, same technical expertise that goes into it. Yeah, right. So, you know, I've been involved in, in a number of different uh, CEA type projects, um, you know, different projects products ranging from, you know, from cannabis and hemp to uh, ornamental flowers to vegetables and leafy greens uh, and even uh, seed corn and other uh, research crops, you know, as you mentioned. So, you know, the facilities can, um, you know, cannabis, a lot of times it's it's completely sealed indoor grow type environments, but, uh, you know, research type facilities may have, um you know, prefabricated growth chambers that sit inside a building uh, could be a, a sealed, a completely sealed, you know, research greenhouse uh, type environment um, to, you know, I'm working on a project right now for, uh, for a municipality that's, they're doing um, ornamental plants in a, uh, a naturally ventilated greenhouse. Uh, so the, 
the systems change a little bit, but uh, but it's all kind of the same uh, background understanding of, of you know how the how the systems are going to work. You know what the what what type of planting and uh, environment that the they need to maintain to you know to have a, a positive outcome. I think at each of them, the plant whatever the plant is, that's the core of what what we're designing around. I think what we've talked about today is. And some of the key takeaways are, I think you want your engineers to be involved early. Probably the earlier you get, you know, get somebody like us involved, the hopefully the earlier you're going to have your first crop. You know, the more we're going to be able to help work through the different parameters, help you with your recipe, um, and help you get to the, to that outcome and help you keep the plants happy. Uh, these are, you know, I don't, Luke, I think maybe kind of these are these projects are fun, they're challenging, and they're just a great opportunity to to help create a, you know, some great crops and also while keeping energy, energy efficiency and that water management in mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, complex systems that go in, you know, go into these types of projects. And I think, you know, the sooner that we can uh, get started and, and get involved, I think uh, the better we can help steer the project and, you know, uh, make, make sure that the owner is spending their money wisely and, and we can, you know, help steer the project in in the correct direction. Hey, well, thanks, you guys. It's been a great discussion today. Listeners who would like to learn more can watch the previously recorded webinar, Keeping the Plants Happy. Just go to imegcorp.com and navigate to our resources section. The webinar goes deeper into the infrastructure, plant rooms, growth stages, and more. A great addition to what Luke and Mike talked about today. And if you have questions on this topic, you can connect with Mike or me through the podcast page on our website, and we can put you in touch with Luke. Finally, if you aren't yet following our podcast, you can do so through whatever app you use. Just search for IMEG Corp or The Future Built Smarter. From all of us at IMEG, thanks for listening and take care. <music>